When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast episode titled... What I'd expect from a junior developer. Now, this isn't me. This is actually Mike. Mike did the show notes this week. He's going to talk about what he'd expect as an employer. And then also we're going to talk about a little bit of the freelance angle is if you're a junior dev that wants to go right into freelancing, what someone, your you know temporary employer, if you will, what they'd expect or what we think they would expect from you. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on our Patreon, leave a review rating on your podcast tab, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. Now, Mike... What would you expect from a junior developer? Yeah, so I, I think I, I made this episode because I've noticed a lot of junior devs and people that I talk to that are just getting into development questioning, like, what happens when I actually get the job, right? Like, what is the first week going to look like? And in fact, this is an episode that is a little bit of a companion piece to an episode that we did before called Succeeding in Your First Week as a Junior Developer. That there I went through kind of what onboarding looks like, what the meetings are going to look like, what your, you know, workflow is going to look like. But I didn't really get into the meat of like, what are your tasks going to be? Like, what are you actually going to do that's going to contribute to a code base and stuff like that? So that's what I want to focus on in this episode. Uh, but if you haven't already, again, succeeding in your first week as a junior developer, take a listen to that episode. That definitely is a companion to this one. But yeah, so like, I just wanted to give an idea of what people will be doing. Right. How, like, what is the first week going to look like? like I, I know a lot of junior developers have usually coded on their own a lot. They've done their own personal projects. They might have done maybe some like hackathon or something with someone else, but they haven't been part of a team. They haven't had to inherit a really old code base. They haven't had to deal with like a very constrained Jira infrastructure where like, you know, you have to follow these exact steps to get a ticket to finish the ticket, comment on the ticket, update everyone in a sprint. Like they haven't had to do that end to end. So it seems like it would be a very foreign th- thing and might be a little bit of a kind of a scary boundary for people getting into development in general. So I want to kind of speak from my own experience, speak how I handle a junior developer, adding like adding a junior developer to the team, what I would personally assign to a junior developer and how I would fit them into a workflow. Just to give you an idea, obviously, this is going to be very different from team to team. That's an important aspect. Like whatever I say might be completely different from what you experience in the field. But overall, maybe some of the structure will be the same. And again, just getting an idea of what you could possibly expect should give you a leg up should give you a little bit more confidence when you're starting that first day and hopefully kind of just entertains you even because who knows what <laughs> what process you're in, what part of the hiring process you're about to start in the development journey. There, There is like, I just kind of skimmed through, you know, your other sections here. And a lot of this has to do with technical stuff that interfaces with human stuff. And what I mean by that is like somebody gives you something, can you create it? Someone is working alongside you. Can you work alongside them? And then there's some communicative skills there. There's obviously some technical side of that, but a lot of it is, you know, going from you building your own portfolio because you're not building your portfolio with somebody else unless you're specifically building a portfolio project and working with someone else as to get experience. Uh, you know, generally you are working by yourself and working by yourself versus working with a team or even working with somebody else, even just one other person is a different experience. And that's generally what you will be doing when you're hired onto some sort of development team. Exactly. Yeah. And and a lot of it is not technical skills. When you're getting hired, when you're going through the interview process, we're sussing out a lot of the technical skills, uh, the soft skills as well. But a lot of it is like, hey, here's a coding test here. Let's look at your portfolio. Like we, we're sussing that out. What we're not able to do during interviews is figure out how you collaborate with the team. How do you ask questions? Right. How do you 
uh, give prompt responses. How do you update the team? That's all stuff that's outside of the technical scope that is really important. And honestly, in my opinion, makes up 50% of your success as a, as a developer when you're starting out, right? Because the technical side of things is like most of the most, for the most part, teachable. And the expectations are usually that, hey, I'm hiring a junior developer. You've been to put through the paces. You're not going to be contributing member on the team right off the bat. You're probably going to be put through your paces. You're going to be ramped up and all that. Like it's not – the pressure is not on you to all of a sudden be like a 10x developer and increase the work – the output of the team as soon as you start, right? It's it's all about how you – how do you meld with the team? How do you communicate and how do you ramp up? That's the process that's really important. And again, as a hiring – as someone that hires personally – that's what I focus on in the first few weeks, the first month, the first six months. It depends on who the developer is and what their skill set is. Everyone is going to be different, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying everyone, someone's going to be better or worse. It's just sometimes some people will need a little bit more help, and sometimes some people will need a little bit less help. Sometimes the more help people are easier to meld and easier to kind of push into a direction that fits the team than the people that are kind of lone wolfing it, right? Although the lone wolves can maybe be more productive at the start. Like it's all a balance and it's okay to be on either side of that balance because you got through the interview and you've made it to the point where they understand your skill set. Now you can kind of just slowly apply it in the right way for the team's success, okay? That's the most important thing. So I want to jump right in here. So we're going to talk about what are your first tasks? Like what, what could they be? And we'll kind of go into detail about what I would expect from a, a result of the task, some of the struggles maybe. Uh, for a junior front-end developer, for instance, right? When you're being – like I'm not going to go into full-stack developers because I think a junior full-stack developer is a myth that shouldn't exist. That's too much to throw on a person. That may be something that a freelancer might have to deal with, unfortunately. Like we're going to talk about the freelancer side of things. Like you might have to have a little bit of that full stack knowledge. But for someone that you get that's getting hired onto a team, the hope is that they're going to be more hyper-focused into either a front-end or a back-end. So on the front-end side of things, the first thing that I would want from a developer is for them to gain familiarity with a code base. What does that mean? I want them to be able to set it up. I want them to be able to run all the tests, run all the uh, development scripts, uh, make sure that they understand the build pipelines, just the basic structure of how the code base goes from just code and Git to running on your machine for testing, right? That's the most important part from the first tasks that are going to be assigned. And usually those tasks that I would assign to get familiar with their code base are something like, I need you to take this thing that we've used three times in the code base and make a, a component out of it, right? So like literally copy, paste some code, put it into a separate file, and then import that file into the places that it needs to be imported in, okay? That's a good first task. And, e and even like more rudimentary first task, if the process is a little bit more complicated, is maybe updating some of the language. So I have like, hey, we, we haven't had time, like the, the team hasn't had time to go through and update the new copy that we got. Hey, find where these, this copy needs to be updated and update it. Okay, so that will require you to get the code base up and running, obviously. Make sure that you can find where stuff needs to be updated. Is it in a language file? Is there is there internationalization? Or is it just straight in the HTML? Like it could whatever. You have to go through the, the files and figure that out. And that part of that process is going to teach you how the code is structured. Okay, that's that's a really key component. It might seem very rudimentary, like the tasks that I'm talking about right now, but the end goal is, again, to just gain familiarity with the code base. It's not really to complete the task. The task can be done by anyone on the team, but it's going to be done by someone that can hopefully gain something from it. And that's the key here when you're hiring a junior developer. Next thing here would be to test out layout skills. So a front-end developer should probably know how to do some layout, some take a design and create a layout based whether it be in React or HTML and CSS or WordPress, whatever. No code builder, it doesn't matter. Whatever the company uses, they should be able to take a design and create a layout from it. Not add logic to it yet, not add anything just like, hey, here's this header that we have that we're going to be designing for the fall marketing campaign, right? We've already got the design done. We haven't had time to implement it. Can you just create a separate component for this so that we can add it whenever the fall campaign starts, 
right? So that will require you to know HTML and CSS usually, maybe Tailwind if we're using Tailwind, whatever design systems we're using. It requires quite a bit of steps to get to the point where, yeah, like as a solo engineer or a solo developer, you probably could spin that up really quickly with whatever whatever frameworks that you want. But when you're co- when you're combining with a team, when you're coming into a project that's already been worked on by 5, 10, 15 people, there's systems in place that you need to follow. So my expectation here is a lot of the times we'll get something usable, like let's say the layout's there, but they haven't followed the design principles. And the great thing is, is that now, hey, I can teach them the design principles. Hey, did you look at this file? Did you look at our style sheets? Right? Did you look at our UI framework? We're using, are we using Radix? Are we using Bootstrap? Are we using whatever other UI library? Did you use those? A lot of times they're just going to, by accident or because they're used to it, they're just going to build it with whatever system they want, they, they see and whatever system's fastest for them. But it's not about speed here. It's about how you can cohesively be an addition to the team that doesn't completely out, you know, be an outsider in terms of code. Like if someone were to look at this code, does it look like the code base that's already there? Or does it look like a completely separate code base that's been added onto it? That's the kind of questions you should be asking yourself when you're writing this stuff. The other stuff that you would be tested on, once you've got like a little bit of the lay of the land on the UI and the code base is up and running, is maybe be able to take in an API and do something with it, right? Because a lot of what you're going to be doing as a front-end developer is interacting with third-party services, whether it be your own CMS, like with your posts or maybe a comment section or something like that. Or you're going to be interacting with a third-party, you know, service like stocks or something. Maybe you have to pull in a bunch of stocks and display them and do something with them on the front end. Well, I'll be assigning you a task of being like, hey, our comment section needs a little bit of an update. We don't have a updated time on the comment. We only have a created time. Can you add an updated time? Here's the design. And what that teaches you is, first of all, you'll you'll have to find where you need to do that update. So again, you're transversing through the code base, finding where it is. And second of all, it teaches you how to read in that API. So even though the comment section is already being read in, well, how do you get the updated date? And again, for some people that might be rudimentary or it might be easy, but it's not. like Because you, if you've never worked with an API or if the API is complicated, maybe it's GraphQL, right? Maybe it's something completely different where you have to like request the updated date on top of just being able to consume it. It's, a, it's a multiple steps. And I'm not expecting you to succeed. I want to get, I want to get that clear. I'm not expecting you to sit down in one evening or one one day and be like, I'm done. Sometimes that is the case. We, we, there's been developers that have been like that. But a lot of times, it's the questions that you're going to be asking that are more important at this stage. So if you come up to me and you're like, hey, I spent an hour on this. I don't know where the API is coming from. That's the point where it'd be like, oh, okay, so this is this is where it's coming from. It's the GraphQL side of things. It's whatever, like it, it's the TRPC, like all these other acronyms that you don't understand. And then I explain those acronyms and I explain what every part of that means, right? And I might have given you a little bit more, a, a little bit of that upfront, right? But I'll reiterate, and now it'll make more sense because you've gone in and tried it yourself, and that's okay. As long as you're asking the questions, as long as you're not sitting there and bashing your head against the wall and being pissed that, hey, I can't solve this in six hours. You want you you want to be part of the team. It's okay to not be able to do some of these tasks that you're assigned from the get-go. They're meant to be like that. They're meant to be pushing you, pushing the boundaries on what you can do. Because as soon as I finish with these tasks, let's say, let's say you've done the all the tasks and I've seen where you struggle and I've seen where you don't. Now I can start assigning you more like tasks for A, expanding your knowledge. So if I see that you struggle with API consumption, I might give you some very concrete layout tasks because you're good at the layouts, but I'll also throw in API tasks for you to get better at it, right? Because we want you to be a more productive member. We want you to learn as as you're part of the team. So you need to get better at the stuff you're not as good at. But it's good for us as the developers, the lead developers or the senior developers to know where you need that help and where you don't. So that's the point of these first tasks for me. So I do have a question here. Um, So one of the things that somebody might do for uh, their portfolio before they even do the interview or anything is they may go to an open source project and try to contribute. Gives them a bit of a 
I don't know if I'd say a team environment, but they're working on a communal project. So it's kind of like a team, even though they're not necessarily working with another person that is also contributing. And one of the big challenges from all the articles and stuff that I've read about it, and I've never contributed to an open source project myself, full disclosure there. And that is that people really struggle on figuring out where the problem is. So they'll be given something simple, kind of like a task that you said, where it'll be like upgrade the language like there as they went through the open source project, they're using the app or whatever it is. They notice that, say, one of the pages isn't translated for some reason. So this person who wants to contribute speaks the the language that needs to be translated and they go, you know what, I can go in and find that file and type out the copy in you know, Spanish or whatever it is. And then I can push that out. And one of the biggest challenges, the number one roadblock there is even though that is a quote unquote simple task because you're not really doing something technical, more so you're just typing in something in another language that you already understand, you the the the, the roadblock comes from knowing where to do it. You know, what file, where is this, where's that? So when a junior dev is given a task in the beginning, especially, you know, as this my first task section of the show. How much guidance are you giving them into where it is? Because the open source project, especially if it's popular, you know, will probably have documentation or will have tickets and issues and forum posts and whatever, where somebody can Google to an extent where things are. But if if they're not stuck on, you know, how to get React to change that page, they're stuck on where in this code base, you know, is the language and it's a proprietary code base that's closed source that's, you know, they're working on it for a company where or how much guidance are they going to get or should they really be practicing the skill of trying to find where things are to get mechanisms to work, like where the parts are to get things to to function? So the reality is I'll give them as much information as I possibly can from the get-go, like where I think they should put something, where I think the language uh, files are, all of that. Like I'll give them everything I possibly can. But the other reality is that I'll forget and I might screw up. And there might be other pieces of it that they need to find out on their own because I didn't give them everything that could they could possibly need to do something like this. Like maybe they need to update, like I, for the language example, maybe there is a certain file for Spanish, right? But to be able to add new copy, they need to also declare those variables in all the other languages as well. Like there could be little little caveats here, and that's where I'm expecting them to be able to kind of do their own research on top of the information that I give them. I will obviously give them as much as I possibly can. I'm not going to put like send them on a goose chase. There's no point in that because the rea- like again, no matter how much information I give them, there's going to be stuff that's not in there. Because I just like any developer is not God of their code base. They're going to forget certain aspects. And it's on the developer that's listening to, first of all, listen to everything that I'm saying and showing them. Write it down, potentially. That's another good skill. And then remember it and be able to do something with it, right? So it's all, all of these skills are part of it. And regardless of, again, how much information you get, you're going to have to search. So yeah, it's totally there. But again, if you're stuck... Yeah, it's not an open source project at this point, but you have a team and that's part like, again, you need to be able to talk to the team. You need to be able to ask questions that maybe you think are dumb. They're never going to be dumb to the team because they know that they've been through this. Like they've, they've been a junior developer before. They usually remember how annoying it is to not know how to find a file or figure out where in 15 places you need to change something or how to start the code base. Like a lot of times people get stuck on just setting up the development environment. And again, that's a part that you need to just hammer at anyone that you can to try to get past. It's the same thing with open source. Most people, like when you start an open source project, the first thing you need to do is set up the development environment and be able to run it locally so that if you're changing something, you can see it live in your own local environment so you can test what you're changing. That's some of the hardest stuff. It, it is going to definitely be a challenge because even in school, like you could rely on your classmates to a certain extent, um, assuming you're friendly with them. But there is that sort of when you're in the class, people don't want to ask questions. They don't want to ask like you're not going to be like asking classmates in the middle of whatever. And like if you're junior dev, there's a high chance that you've just come from classes, you know, not, not that long ago um, or self-taught even same sort of thing. I mean, you're self-taught. You're not group taught. So uh, it is going to be a, a challenge. And how much do you think that somebody should push? So I, I recall 
uh, a, a particular instance in which I was stuck on something at work. It was trying to make a very specific ticket and it was obviously something I couldn't Google. It was, you know, an internal procedure that was not documented. I had to make this ticket a very particular way to get like a pretty big job done. And the team was just like super busy and whatever. And I was like, well, I mean, I've never done this type of ticket before. There's no documentation for it. So if you don't tell me the procedure, then this is just not going to get done. And I was just sort of told like, oh, you just got to figure it out. It's just, you know, you just do it. I'm like, well, it's not so much like a question of can I make a ticket? It's this ticket has to be filled out a certain way and there's no way and it's your way, but you don't have any instructions on how to do it. So I ended up just asking somebody until he got pissed off and did it and showed me how to do it. And I kind of I remember that because it was like, man, like, I don't know if I should be pissing these people off. But at the same time, because I was new to the team, but at the same time, it was it was very much a situation in which there's no way for me to know your your procedure. Um, and, and, you know, this thing with a code base, a custom code base, I don't know how you guys set this up. And Google certainly does not know how you guys set this up. Yeah. So the rule of thumb for me is like it, as a junior developer, if you're stuck on something for 45 minutes to an hour, that's when you ask. As you progress in your development career and your skills, that number goes up. So maybe intermediate, three hours, senior, six hours, eight hours, whatever, like a day. Um, to the point where like, obviously, as you get better, you get better at debugging and you have to trust yourself to be able to get through walls. But when you're first starting out, there's just so much you don't know that it's just better to get the, to the answer quicker and not go down the wrong pathways and waste your own time and the uh, uh, the team's time as well. So like, yeah, ask quickly, ask quickly is my suggestion because I mean, the teams are going to be very varied. Like Matt, like your example, the kind of a little bit of a hostile environment that can happen. And it's unfortunate, but it's the situation where there's crunch time. Like where there, there, there is a task that needs to be done by the end of the week. Everyone is going full bore ahead and they just have no time to answer you. But you're part of that crunch now all of a sudden. You're doing a very simple task maybe, but you're part of that crunch. You need to get your your task done to get their t- stuff done at the end of the week. So what do you do? You have to bother them. You have to you have to get the like you have to be tenacious just like you were, Matt. And maybe the maybe someone will get angry, but at the end of the day if your task is done at the end of that sprint or at the end of that week because you bothered someone, that's going to look better on you than if your task is not done. It, it is it is absolutely a challenge because like there is that social aspect like I'm not the biggest social animal out there but I'm I'm you know I'm sure most people are not gonna want to piss off piss off people that are effectively above them you know if I'm in junior position and they're in senior or just you know regular or whatever it was IT so like I don't know I guess junior in training and then regular um just IT worker and and it you don't want to piss that person off because obviously you're gonna continually work with them but then you're also in that thing but then also if you think about it you're 100% right. If I hadn't gotten the ticket done, then they'd be pissed off. So it's like they're going to be pissed off. Like, I guess some sometimes someone's going to be mad is kind of the the name of the game here, I guess. <laughs> yep. And that that's just part of it. That's part of life. Like, you can't always go away from conflict. It's tough, but you got to do it. And the last thing here for junior developers that I do want to mention is I, I will always kind of give them some documentation to update, whether it be while they're setting up their environment, something that was missed in the documentation that they had to figure out. That's a perfect up, like, case for them to update the documentation and just getting <clears throat> starting them in the habit of documenting because almost every project that I've worked on has a lack of that, right? So I'm trying to fix that through the only means I know how, and that's just time. Everyone has to contribute to the documentation. Everyone has to comment properly or write self-documenting code or create tutorials or whatever, because as soon as someone leaves, someone will have to fill in. And if there's no documentation, it's just, it becomes chaos, right? Like you can't have that as a situation. So you, you need to fight with management. This is not, this is more for just a rant, a side rant. Like a junior developer doesn't need to fight with management. Uh, the senior devs and the the tech leads need to fight with management to get time to write documentation and to write tests. Those are the things that are always going to be a fight, unfortunately. But the the they should be a fight because if you don't, your code will not last long and it will always remain chaos. So the next thing here we're going to talk about is for junior backend dev. Now I'm not a huge I'm a full stack developer, but I lean towards front end. So take this with a grain of salt. Uh, I got some of this information uh, online, some of it not, and some of it my own. 
But for backend, for junior backend devs, this might be different. But this is what I would do personally, because I still need some help on the backend sometimes. So I, I could hire a junior backend dev. And for that, first thing I would ask them to do is probably create a really simple API realistically, right? So there's already going to be a backend code base. Hey, can you create an API that takes in, that checks how many registered users there are and outputs a number? And this isn't just like a random task that I would assign because a lot of times what we need from the backend is maybe marketing dashboard or an admin dashboard, something that hasn't had the resources to be built out yet because we're focused on user-facing stuff, but that is something that's been requested internally like 15 times. Right. Like currently at the project that I'm working on, literally there's a marketing team that's like, Hey, we need a dashboard that tells us how many users there's, there, there's a, there are registered, how many submissions they've made, et cetera, et cetera. Cause they need to use that information to then post on like Twitter and market the market that, Hey, we've passed 3000 users. We've passed three, 8,000 submissions, whatever. Um, right now we're doing it manually by just going into the database and telling them as developers. <laughs> obviously not ideal. So if you were to join my team today, that would be one of the first things I would assign you to do. Because it's just it seems like a it's a low risk task. Because again, you're just reading information, you're not writing anything to the database, you'll obviously be working on the dev database initially. So even if you clear it, and drop the tables, you're good, like nothing's going to happen, we'll just restore a backup or start a new dev database. And at the end of the day, it's still going to provide a very useful feature. So it's kind of a win-win-win in that situation where you can struggle a little bit and that's okay. You can screw up and that's okay. But you might actually end up with something that's in production pretty quickly. And that's, I think, really, that should be a goal of any new task, regardless of front-end or back-end that's assigned initially, because you need that motivation. I found a lot of times when a junior developer joins a team, they just kind of feel like they're not part of it because they're working on busy work, quote unquote, and getting like spun up. But if you give them tasks that are actually going to be part of the project, regardless of how small they are, if they're going to be pushed into production, that's going to make them feel a lot more motivated and a lot more, a lot, they'll feel ready to take on the next more complicated task because they've already done something on the production, regardless of how complicated it is. The next thing I would ask them to do as a backend is right now, again, I'm going to pull from my own experience. We have a lack of tests for our APIs, just full on transparency. We need someone to write tests. So test writing is something that you might not be familiar with. And that's fully expected. Like I'm not expecting you to start on the team, know how to write tests for the APIs that have already been created. That's a ridiculous assumption for a junior developer. What I would expect you to do is Google it watch some YouTube videos, try it out, present what you have to us, iterate with the senior dev, get some mentorship on it, get some back and forth. And at the end of the day, with help, have a testing framework for some of the APIs that were assigned to you, right? Like it's going to be a struggle sometimes, it's going to be a back and forth, but it's going to get you integrated into the team. It's going to get you learning the code base that's currently there. And it's going to result in a more secure, better code base that we can move forward with to the future and run a bunch of tests and make sure that we haven't broken anything. So it's a good kind of first task. What can you give me an actual example um, of, sure. you know, let's say an API, like right top to bottom, an API, what you would assign and then what the end task result, like what do you expect them to do and what's the end result that they handed into you? Yeah, absolutely. So again, so I would want an API for the amount of registered users. So that would require you to create a database query, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of what we might be using an ORM like Prisma, again, like something that interfaces with the database. We might be using just direct database calls, whatever the, whatever the system is, you have to query the database and then you get response of like, how are you going to do it? So for registered users, if you query the database for all users, you'll get a response for all users and then you can get a length assigned, right? Like how much, how many users there are. That's probably not the most efficient way, but that is a way. There's also a way to just query the count of users. So then you just get back an integer, a number. And then what would you, what I would expect you to do with that is literally have a function that returns that number whenever I hit like a certain endpoint. So slash API slash registered users in my app should take me to this function that the user wrote and return a number on the screen, like 50, 100, 200, 5,000, whatever, how many users there are in the database. So that's the database call. 
that's the API that you would create as a new one, as a new uh, a junior developer. But to test it, you can't test for how many users there are. So you, what I would ask you to test for is, hey, is this returning a number? Because if you if if something goes wrong in the database, it'll return an error. If something goes wrong in the database, it might return a string, an error, a, a string error. It might return something else. And if it's not returning a number, then we can assume that something is wrong. But if it is returning a number, we can assume that it's probably returning the correct number. Okay, so that's write a test that checks to see. And there's different testing frameworks. I'm not going to get into testing frameworks, but you want to check to see if the API that you just wrote is returning the correct response type every time we run that test. Does that kind of clarify it for you, Matt? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Um, the other stuff that I would want you to do is perhaps set up your API troubleshooting system. So when you're running APIs, a lot of times you won't have a front end ready to test it with. So how do you test what it's returning? Like I just explained the whole system of like, hey, you go to slash API slash registered users. Well, where's it gonna? Where's that number gonna go? Is it gonna go to a console log? Is it gonna just show up on the page? Well, a lot of times you will be using a kind of a, a API tester with like Postman, where you will be able to put in the parameters. Maybe there's a secure per security parameter that you'd want to put in, like your user, like your bearer token or your user authorization to get to the API. There might be an auth component, and then the return of that will just be kind of like a JSON or an XML, however you want to return your response, and you'll see that inside of your like. Postman or Thunder client, whatever other client that you would use for testing. And a lot of times, again, in this situation, I would show them which client we usually use, which is like Thunder client in this case, but Postman in a lot of cases, and kind of let them go with it. Like try, try to create, try to run a test with a Thunder client, because if you're going to be writing a bunch of APIs, you're going to have to learn how to test them quickly without having to spin up an entire front end. The other thing is, is like with the new kind of new age and what we work with is a lot of serverless functions and cloud functions. So these functions are not dedicated de dedicated virtual machines that are running. This is kind of a function that's running in the cloud on its own virtual machine, but you don't have to worry about the infrastructure. And it's essentially just like a Node.js function or a Python function that will be hit again with some sort of URL or IP address and return some sort of value based on what you want. So you could write this uh, registered users API inside of a serverless function rather than just, you know, spinning up an entire backend for it. And it would have the exact same output and exact same response. But you have to learn how to go through the steps of like, are we doing this in Next.js? Well, then there's an API folder in Next.js that you could use. And there's different like different methods, get, post, all that stuff for a backend dev that you would need to know. And put that in. And there's plenty of documentation on Next.js on how to do that. There's examples and stuff like that. Or are we doing this on a cloud service provider? Like maybe in, in our project, we're using GCP, Google Cloud Platform, or AWS, right? Amazon Web Services. So depending on where you are, like you need to learn the infrastructure that you're going to be using. A lot of times it might be a VPS, it might be just a Linux box running Apache or something, or it might be an entire not entirely different system. So I would I would ask them to do it in maybe both systems. I would ask them to do it to create a different API for different reasons in both systems. Like a lot of times, I don't want to get into the weeds of it, but there, there's reasons to use one over the other. And depending on that, I would tell them, obviously, and show them the steps to do it before sending them on that task. Uh, but yeah, that's that's it for junior backends. Uh, I think right now let's talk a little bit about freelancers. So for for instance, like maybe you're not starting as a as a job. Maybe you're you've gotten a little bit of skills under your belt. You've done some courses. You've done your own personal projects, and maybe you just looking out for clients. Right? You can you can make a lot of money just by getting like starting a little freelancing business and building websites or building web apps, whatever you want to do. Well, what is that going to look like? What kind of skills do you need there? And what are your tasks going to be like? What are you, rather than working in a team, you're going to be working a little pretty much on your own because you're a freelancer. How is that going to differ? Right? You're starting a new, you're, you have to be able to create a product from end to end now. So now we're talking a little bit more full stack. Well, depending on what the client needs, 
You're going to have to be able to decide what tools to use for different purposes. So you have to have that troubleshooting, that communication mechanism of being able to figure out not only, hey, how to do the technical part of it. Well, how am I going to talk to a client and withdraw all the requirements from a client and then get an actual uh, quote together, send the quote to them, and then pick a tech stack that will work for the whatever the amount that you've proposed. This is like, on the one hand, it's great because you can start working right away and you don't have to interface with the team and you don't have to do interviews, which is awesome. On the other hand, it's a lot. Being a freelancer, a junior freelancer is a lot to put on your shoulders. Not impossible. Matt and I did it. There's plenty of people out there that did it. But damn, did we have to go through a lot of like sleepless nights and crazy amount of Googling and troubleshooting to get to an end space where like we were comfortable doing it. It was not easy. If we, if ideally the path you go to freelancing is not learning HTML and CSS, doing a couple of courses and then jumping into freelancing. Ideally, I would say the path is you probably need to work at an agency or you probably need to work with a team and get your skills up, become a, an intermediate developer, work on a bunch of different elements of the stack, get that comfort level up, and then you can sell your skills a lot easier. You'll be able to sell your talent of like, hey, I've worked with Nike, I've worked with et cetera, et cetera. You already have some background that's easier for you to sell rather than jumping in fresh. But again, that's not to say that it can't be done and not to say that there isn't any value in doing it because if you're having trouble finding a job, which is the case for a lot of people right now, maybe freelancing gives you that leg up. Maybe freelancing will get, be, start your whole career or just give you a good resume builder, right? Like, hey, I built three of these production websites already. Now in an interview, maybe you're not interviewing as a junior developer anymore. There's a lot of positives and negatives. It's a lot of balance that you have to do, but just know that it's not just technical at this point. I would say, Matt, I, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts, Matt. I would say it's like 70% soft skills in terms of freelancing and 30% technical. Yeah, I would say so. In the beginning, it might be a little bit more 50-50 because you're Googling so much and learning so much like as a junior. But I was actually going to say that a lot of what we deal with, like we still have problems every day. I mean, so does everyone else. But um, with with clients and that, and that's because, you know, some clients are just super smooth, super easy. Everything's good. But then you have people approaching you. So not even clients yet, but new I don't know, people that are like kind of window shopping, if you will, that aren't really interested in what they want or they're not really they're, they're just sort of like, hey, I had this idea. Can you build it for me? But I have no money. And or, hey, I only have five hundred dollars. Let's just do five hundred dollars worth of work. And then they'll try to take advantage of you by like kind of like a little bit of scope creep, a little bit of scope creep, a little bit of scope creep. And we deal with that's only a few examples of people that we've dealt with. So it's a lot of it is is soft skills because some people will want you know, a really detailed um, prototype with designs and everything, but they'll want, to, they'll want you to do that for free. Other people will want to pay for that. We've had people where they refuse to give us any um, project requirements other than something really basic, like it needs to do this. One sentence, that's all you get. So we give them obviously a really basic quote with a project breakdown. They get super, we, we, had, we had one guy get super mad because we didn't do what other people do, which is full prototype with this and that and this and that. But it was for a $400 project at the end of the day. And it was like, so you want us to work for like 60 hours to put, build this whole thing out with one sentence of detail from us. And you want us to like come up with the entire concept and everything, have multiple meetings with you, do all that part for free and then make $400 at the end of it. By the way, 13% of that goes to the government off the top. You divide it by two for Mike and I, and then they take another 30%. Like really though, right? So like you, the, there's your soft skills is that you have to really look at what do you have to pay for the ta for taxes? Cause my, the tax ratings I just said are very, very, um, very much an estimate, right? And it's very regional. If we move to a different part of Canada, the taxes would be different, right? But you have to factor that stuff in. That's soft skills. You have to learn, know how to do, you know how to, you know, have to know generally how much to quote. You have to know generally how much you need to make off of something, how long it's going to take. Mike and I have had several projects where we've literally worked for a dollar an hour at the end of it. We look at it and it's like, great, we work for a dollar an hour. Fantastic. Um, we've we've had people try to take advantage. We've had people been super nice. We've had people give us tips, you know, uh, usually it's like 20 bucks, but uh, we've had people be super generous. We've had people be super demanding in a call 
And then when you give them something because you're like, oh, my God, I could better, you know, really deliver. They're like, oh, you over delivered on this and they're super happy. And it's like, oh, I guess they must have had trouble with people in the past. And you know, our basic work would have been good enough. And this is above and beyond. And it's a lot like you're 100 percent right, Mike. It's 100. Or it's, it's about like 60, 40, 60 uh, percent going toward the soft skills because you, you constantly have to have that sort of filter and really sort of vet people based on their budget, based on the project, based on one big one that we've learned just recently in the past, say, two, three years is projects that people need but don't want really suck. Because someone will come up to you and say, oh, you know, I I absolutely need a website for um, selling flower pots. I don't know. I sell flower pots. Like, I really need you to make this website. And they're being told to do that by corporate or they're being told to do that for some government regulation for some reason or something. But they need the site is the part is the the main point. They need the site, but they don't want it. They're not passionate about the site. They're not even indifferent. Usually they actually don't want it. And so then you have these the the situation where they don't want to pay a lot because they don't want it. They're not really willing to work with you much. They demand they are usually for whatever reason really demanding. Like they're really they really want perfection on that low budget. And so it's re- it really is a question of like, okay, I need to vet this person and price them appropriately because this person's going to be a pain. What do I mean by that? Oh, you know, it's a simple project. We'll we'll ship it out. Sure. But every single time they have trouble, they're going to call you. And that's the only time they're going to call you because clients that want their sites that actually, you know, are passionate about their sites or indifferent, they'll call you and be like, hey, man, like, do you think it'd be cool if we move the alignment of this text? Like, what do you think? That's a legitimate, totally cool phone call. You can have that talk. You can build up a little test page for them and show them what it would look like different aligned. Maybe a little bit A-B testing if you're that serious. Those are totally legitimate, you know, clients, and that's not something that you should be shying away from. But when you have a person that doesn't want their site and only needs their site, they're only going to talk to you when they're mad, when they're stressed, or when or when something's wrong. Usually they're mad or stressed during that time. And it that's that that becomes your relationship. You you talk to them when they wanted the site up and they they tried to lowball you, so you worked on a minimal budget. You built the thing and now you're only talking to them when they're mad. Or when they're sad or when it's like absolutely mandated for some reason. And it's sort of like, okay, you know, this is, this kind of sucks. And so that part of the business is super hard to do. And as a kind of a last part, getting the requirements from people, because a lot of people just be like, you know, just build me like a used car website. It's like, well, like what do you, okay. (laughs) Do you actually, do you actually sell them online? Do you have a mechanic shop? He's like, well, yeah, like, obviously it's like not obvious, actually, because some places don't have a mechanic shop. Do you offer a warranty? Well, yeah. Okay. well, again, like I don't work there. So and it's hard to get the information out of them. And then you also have to get the budget. And you also have to figure out what they what they want out of it, because sometimes they're like, well, we have a mechanic shop, but I just want this to be for my cars. It's like, okay, well, now we have to change the change this. Hey, we need some copy to to effectively give to Google to have, you know, some semblance of SEO. And we've talked about SEO for small businesses in a previous episode. And they'll they'll go, well, I don't know, like, just say I I fix Volkswagens. (laughs) It's like, that's your, that's your content. I fix Volkswagens. I might put some cars on this website. And that's, that's again, so it's like, I'm not spending my time trying to figure out how to list cars in a repeatable list or something like that, or in content boxes with information with like their specs. I'm not spending my time doing that. I spend my time on a phone talking to somebody who has like four sentences to say about their whole business. And and that's it. And so that's your, yeah, Mike's hundred percent right. You know, very, very beginning, maybe it's 50, 50, but 60, 40 might even be 70, 30 towards soft skills when you get really experienced because you already have a bunch of tools. You know, if you're going to put someone on Wix, Squarespace, Webflow, WordPress, uh, if you're going to build them custom, you kind of have a general idea of what you're going to do pretty quick. And so that's a really big part, obviously choosing the stack and knowing what stacks you're willing to work in as well. But <laughs> having that conversation with the client is a huge thing. And that's exactly why uh, agencies that just do Webflow, and I don't mean what agencies that use Webflow and extend it with custom code. I mean, people that just use Webflow and if Webflow can't do it, they don't do it. Those people, like those agencies, will make a shit, will make make an absolute like, like an absolute bunch of money off of something because they 
or they make a bunch of money off their agency because they're spending 99% of their time just talking to people. And then someone's very quickly probably at this point building it because they're in Webflow. Like they're sitting in Webflow for so long that they're just building it quickly, building it quickly, building it quickly. But having the conversation with the client and getting all the information and getting it through the different checks and hitting the milestones of the project and organizing the project, the soft skills are very, very time consuming and very, really challenging for freelancers. Yeah, exactly. So it, again, it, it's a both a warning and a a warning and a maybe indicator if you want to do it or not. If you're not a soft skills person, maybe not for you. So anyway, I think I think it's an important piece that we needed to talk about here. But to move on to the next part, uh, the last segment here, junior developer struggles. I want to go through a list of different things that you might have trouble with. During your first couple months, during your during these tasks that I was mentioning, and maybe give you suggestions on each one. So these aren't like obviously going to be an extensive list, but I do have some here that I think have people have run into. I've run into myself. Legacy code bases being the first one. So a lot of times you're going to be working with code that maybe you've never seen before because it was developed eight years ago. Maybe it's Angular one. Maybe it's an old framework that isn't around anymore. Maybe it's in a system like Joomla, which is very convoluted, and I hate Joomla, and et cetera, et cetera. Like, there just could be a million different things that you've never seen before because it's old. And because it's old, there's going to be limitations on it on top of that that are going to be challenging. Now, this might be something that you just don't want to deal with, and it's unfortunate, and maybe you weren't warned during the interview, but the reality is, is that this is a very typical situation, and you might have to you know, take it on the chin and keep going. And the way that I would deal with this right now is just focus on small pieces. This is going to be my answer for a lot of things. Just focus on a small piece and learn it. Learn the Learn Joomla. Like where, where do you have to go? Like there's, there's tutorials online, there's documentation. You can learn these things, even if they are legacy, you might find some stuff there that you actually like focus on that and take it in small pieces. Again, you can't look like if you're given a code base that's been worked on for eight years and there's 150, 500 files, whatever it is, the scope of that is going to overwhelm you. It's too much. So you have to focus on the smallest thing that you can do. Like if you can get the development virus set up, great. Now change some text on the page. I guarantee you that just getting that one little bit of step into the right direction is going to give you some momentum. Add a button. Do like break it. Break it because it's all in the local development environment. Do something that will break it. Find a way that you can get through kind of the complexity of the legacy code base to actually do something in it. And then step by step as you're doing as you're being assigned tasks, they're not the tasks are not going to be take these 800 files and do something with them. They're going to be very specific to like, hey, there's this one file, you have to update X and Y in it. And as you start doing that, you'll get more comfortable with it. So don't let it overwhelm you. I want to uh, actually point something out here, Mike. I know you made, you know you made some comments there about Joomla. Uh, I would like to say that Joomla is not out of date. As of, uh, according to Google here, uh, as of recording this episode, the last stable release was 42 days ago. Not that old at all. and I see a Twitter, a tweet here, also just embedded on Google. I'm not actually on Twitter, but and Joomla Day is coming up. Joomla Day ES 2023 on 5th and 6th of October. What are you talking about, Mike? I, I know there's some developers that love Joomla, and I'm so sorry that I'm offending these people. Uh, like, I'm sure that there's plenty of love for Joomla and there's plenty of reasons for it. Matt, I, we've mentioned the story a million times. One of the first projects that we were going to work on that <laughs> night was a Joomla project. And I went into the, their dashboard and I can't remember what version of Joomla this was. I'm pretty sure it was an older version of Joomla even like 10 years ago. This is an old version of Joomla. And I have never sworn so much in so little amount of time. Like I, I'm pretty sure it almost like gate kept us from doing this business. I, I think was, you were trying to I think you were trying to update a content page or a contact page. I'm trying to update like a phone number it. or something. You couldn't I'll be it. honest, I could not find where to update it. I could not <laughs> I could not find where to update that page. The dashboard had maybe 300 different items in it. And I was like it was just overwhelming. Again, like I like I'm mentioning it was overwhelming. Now we were freelancers at the time. I don't even remember what the project was because I think I've blocked it out in my mind. 
But like, I just don't have that. This was without a support system. We didn't have any prior knowledge to it and we didn't have anyone to ask. So it was overwhelming and I got overwhelmed. And again, it almost gate kept me from the development industry. That's how bad it was. So yes, I have a little bit of a grudge against Joomla. It's not a real grudge. It's not something that should be considered serious or anything like that, obviously, but I will not work in a Joomla project period ever. That's just, <laughs> that is All my right, line. I, like, I'd like to point out here, Mike, it says here, web content applications include, this is in the description of Joomla, discussion forums, photo galleries, e-commerce, and user-based communities, and numerous other web-based applications. You, Mike, could work on on one of the uh, on one of these, of which it's open ended. So you could you could just make your next project in Joomla if you'd like. I, I I remember you were on your laptop and you're like, "How do I blow this up on the TV?" And we cast it, which was like hard to do ten years ago. We cast it to like a pretty old TV at the time too. Cast it to the TV, and you and I were both looking. I'm like, "I don't know where to update this content page, that contact <laughs> page. I don't know. I don't know how to do it." And you're just like, well, where do I go? Like, why is there just a contact? I don't know. Don't know. Whoever okay, set it up. I did, yeah, I did a control F to find contact and there was <laughs> not a single contact word. Because how I would look for contact page is like I would look at the contact page live, find some text that it would associate with the contact page and I would control F for that text. Just a hot tip for you. If you're trying to find text to change, <laughs> like control F for that text in the code base, you'll probably find where to change it. Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't there. I don't know where it was. I, I, my guess, I still to this day don't know where it is. Third party, third party contact page. They're probably like a plugin. <laughs> that's Just what Joomla is, right? Everything. Like, yeah, exactly. Like I'm. That's my guess. Like that's the only explanation I have, even now with what I have. So anyway, no more Joomla. It sucks. Sorry to people <laughs> that love Joomla. Next thing here, too much information is thrown at them. So this is very similar to the legacy code bases point. Um, a lot of times you're going to be sitting there in your first couple of days, and you'll be might. Be sitting in a five-hour meeting and uh, they'll be talking about the next system that they're building because I don't know what it is, but whenever a junior developer joins, it's usually during chaos season and you just have like a docket of meetings and you bring them into these meetings for some reason, like being like, oh, they may, maybe they'll meet the team, not realizing that you're just going to be talking literal gibberish into their face for hours, expecting them to pick something up. I've seen this happen many times. I, I've accidentally done it myself to other junior developers, so I'm sorry. Um, I've been done this too when I first started at a company. Uh, and I know like my cousin just started at a company, also same situation, like just thrown at, thrown like just chaos. And they're not you're not expected to do anything with that chaos. Like you're as a junior developer, you're not expected to actually like action on any of it. You're just expected to kind of sit there and take it in and like learn and communicate and just like interact but what it really does is it like petrifies you because first of all every second word is usually an acronym for something you've never heard of and then the projects that they're working on are so complex that there's like 15 different departments that are talking about the same project trying to integrate in some way it's just it's just too much so this is a reality that you might have to live with and again the the point i'm trying to make is that you don't you're not responsible for this stuff so just take in what you can take in, try not to fall asleep, and then focus on the task ahead of you, like the, the, the hyper-focused task of like, hey, hey, you need to set up your development environment. Hey, you need to change this text in this file, right? Like they're not going to give you a task of designing the system architecture of their next system that they were talking about in a meeting for five hours. That's not the <laughs> point of you being there. The point of you being there is who knows what, but reality is, is just they, they didn't have anything else for you to do and they brought you with them because they need to be in that meeting. You there, the That's new guy, how should we re-architect everything? Like, <laughs> uh, Especially a junior. Where do like, I sit? Like, where's my desk? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So take that for what it is and it's not a real situation where you need to do anything in. So that should I kind of alleviate some of your concerns at least um, and just focus on the task ahead of you. Next thing here, complex build pipelines. So imagine you finished updating the text. You're happy with it locally. How do you get that text to be production, right? Well, it could be as easy as pushing to Git, which is a great build pipeline, and a lot of companies are adopting that. Or it could be as difficult as having to sign into 15 different services, kicking off 15 different builds at the same time or in a sequence. I've had to do this where to get something live on a website, I've had to kick off five different services 
in a sequence, if I didn't kick off in a sequence, everything would crash. And then at the end of the day, you have to wait about 15 to 20 minutes to make sure that everything's okay. So anytime you do a change, it's just that process. And then you're scared for 15 minutes because maybe something will be corrupt. Maybe something will go down and then your production site will go down. Um, so depending on how complex your build process is, this might be a little bit overwhelming. This might be a little bit seem like something that you don't want to take on because again, you don't want to take down production. So my recommendation here is to make sure that the first few times you do it, have it, do it with someone, do it with your manager, do it with your mentor, do it with whoever, like do it with the team. Maybe they have, the team has a build time that they do a build every week with all the changes add into that, but learn the process because at some point Joe's going to be on vacation Janet's going to be gone. You might be the one that's required by marketing to update the copy. And that will require you to go through the five-step build process. But now that you've done it a bunch of times and you've been part of those meetings and you've paid attention, you can do it with at least some confidence. And next thing here is complex dev setup. So we've talked about the development environment being kind of a, a barrier and it can be a serious barrier. Sometimes it's as easy as running an NPM run dev, but sometimes it's as difficult as setting up your Docker environment, setting up Docker on your computer, making sure that you have the right versions of everything. I mean, Docker should handle that for you, but who knows? And then making sure that you can interface into Docker, like figuring out what Docker even is, a virtualization container thing, right? Like all of this is overhead that you have to learn. And sometimes, again, the onboarding process, we talked about it in a previous episode that I mentioned, the succeeding in your first week as a junior developer, the onboarding process can be as quick as a couple of hours for development environment setup to a week because of how complex it can be. So don't take it as something that you're bad at. Make sure that you go through it and ask questions along the way because you might run into situations that you're, only your computer runs into. And this is a great time for you to, again, update documentation. So if you run into issues during the setup process, that's your indicator that the documentation is not complete. Fix that for the next person. And that's going to be appreciated by the next person that joins and your management because, again, no one has time to update documentation. But if someone can do it, that would be awesome. Next thing here is lack of documentation. So I just mentioned uh, you could have a situation where you have a dev environment set up, no documentation on how to set up. It could po it's possible. Well, like Matt was mentioning earlier, the only way to do something that you don't know how to do and there's no documentation of, you have to ask someone. You have to spend someone, someone's time has to be spent to take you through it step by step because if there's nothing to take you through, there's no video, there's no markdown file, nothing, you won't be able to figure it out on your own. Well, if you're in one of those situations too where the they haven't quite figured out what tasks to give you, you could even take some initiative and say, hey, I'm noticing there's a lack of documentation and I'm asking team members a lot of stuff. Uh, this stuff should probably be in our wiki and our wiki's out of date or whatever in our, our intranet wiki. Um, do you want me to write the documentation on stuff that I'm actively working and asking questions on so that it might save someone else from asking questions in the future? You can always ask if you want if you want or need something to do. And then that way you're writing it down, you're solidifying it in your own brain. You're kind of like studying it. And then you're also hopefully saving a future team members, possibly even your team, your, your future time uh, at answering questions once you become the, the trainer for the new trainee. Exactly. Like taking initiative is a huge part of the, the, the starting process, something I didn't talk about. But having that initiative, having that forefront to go out and seek information and seek uh, being able to contribute as fast as possible is going to take you a step further, 100%. And the next thing here is boredom. So boredom is a big one. Like for me, I had a job. This wasn't a developer job, but it was a job where I had periods of the day, six hours a day where I was doing nothing. Like I just had nothing to do. And I tried everything. I tried to take initiative. I tried to go and just ask people to the point where they got pissed. Like they were just like, don't ask us. We're busy. We don't have anything for you to do. And so I just, I had to deal with the boredom. And unfortunately, like there's not much suggestion here because there's going to be situations where you might have to deal with it. If you're in a bigger company that has the ability to hire and not fully load their developers, pretty rare, but can happen. You're going to have to suck it up and 
learn something while you're dealing with it. Explore, make sure that you're ready for that next task. Like again, break the code if it's running locally. Figure something out, like just kind of take up the time to learn something new, to level yourself up and to get ready for when you're not bored because that's going to happen too where you're going to go from bored to being overloaded really quickly. So maybe even enjoy some of the boredom. Then the last thing here is lack of guidance and mentorship. So sometimes you're going to have teams where they're just either too busy or they don't care or whatever, and they don't want to help you. Well, that sucks. Um, and I'm sorry to hear that, but the reality is it's going to happen. And if you're in that situation, again, Matt, Matt mentioned it. You might have to pester someone. They might be pissed at you. You might be, have to be okay with making yourself and them uncomfortable sometimes to get a task done. Cause at the end of the day, that's your goal. If you need to, if you're, if it's too much of a toxic environment, you might have to start looking for something new. Like you don't want to stick in a toxic environment forever. Um, maybe it's just a, a situation where again, they're too busy and you just have to wait it out a little bit and just slowly prod and poke and try to try to establish your connections, try to establish your relationships with the people on the team that are there that are maybe seem a little bit cold, but anything that you can do to kind of break the ice with them to, uh, just help them in any way. Like I said, I said, take an initiative on writing documentation that might help you to the next step, but it's not. You know, there's there's no way that I can tell you exactly how to deal with difficult people because they're going to be all over the place during your career. Like your managers might be difficult, your coworkers might be difficult, your clients might be difficult, et cetera, et cetera. It's just part of it. You need to get through it and uh, come out the other end. But I think that's it for me. Uh, that's my recommendations. Those are kind of what I would expect from a junior developer. Obviously, this isn't an extensive list. It's only I can do in an hour on a podcast. But if you have any questions, uh, you're starting a new job and you want to talk about it, feel free to message me at HTML Everything on Twitter. Um, I like write a post or DM me. I'm open to that. Uh, hopefully, you're going to have a great first experience as a developer and you're going to level up from junior really quickly and help others get into it as well. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is a you know a, a great sort of first step for, for junior devs to sort of kind of ease them, ease their way into it. Because I think we've talked about in that previous, uh, previous related episode, uh, succeeding in your first week as a junior dev, I think you were saying how like the social aspect is like a big, is like a big thing. And these sort of initial tasks that you are first given or the, you know, the first day jitters, if you will, are, you know, a big thing. It's a big part of why a lot of people won't even try. And if you, don't even want to try and you want to become freelancers, want to just become a freelancer and you're good at the soft skills. Maybe that's something else that you can do. And so I think it's important to talk about these, these things, because even though we weren't, you know, diving into Svelte or React or WordPress or Webflow or Wix or, you know, whatever else that's out there, even though we weren't diving into the specific things, you know, we really were kind of talking about the soft skills and how they interface with the technical skills. Like, you know, you're mentioning AI, um, API, excuse me, um, converting a wireframe, which is like a visual element, obviously, into an actual page or a component or getting little pieces of it running, those type of things. Yeah, you know, that is taking something from the design team and the soft skill is interfacing it with your technical ability. And then you go and do that. And that's a very big part of the job. And I'm seeing on uh, Twitter or on X um, uh, quite a bit now, actually, there's some people that say, I'll train you you know, to be a good developer, but I'm not going to train you to not, not be a good person, but to be a good fit for the team type thing. Or some, some teams are, you know, they're all kind of jovial. Everyone's joking around and it's, it's fine. And as long as, you know, as long as that the work's getting done and they, then they can train you up and you're not completely technically inept, they'll keep you around and they may hire you. Whereas other teams are very nose to the grindstone. Everyone shut up and go. And as we mentioned, some, some, th some uh, environments are toxic and you may need to kind of move on. And so I think this is sort of a good episode to listen to and sort of to kind of get an idea how to transition from working solo on your portfolio, get into that first job, interface effectively with with the team. You know, kind of that, that sounds weird, but really like you're kind of interfacing with the team, going to get get into the into the uh, the idea of working with other people and then then you can either stay there or move on. 
you like it, you dislike it, maybe you prefer freelancing and you got to you have to try it. Right. It's one of these things where you can't just like <laughs> you can't just like experience being on a team without being on a team. And so this is kind of a way to ease yourself in there. And then you can decide, do I want to stay in this type of environment? Do I want to move on? What do I want to do? But I think that's it. I think that concludes this episode. If you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons. Uh, Ryan Gatchel from Blueback Digital and BlueBackDigital.com. Tim from the Web Hacker on the WebHacker.com. Jason from GeekLifeRadio via GeekLifeRadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via MCWebStudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff Hale. Fire Ant Season via FireAntSeason.com. Gunner Burnett via GunnerBurnett.com. Watoto Coding via WatotoCoding.com. Garrett Segal and Level Up Financial Planning. Level Up Financial Planning via www.LevelUpFinancialPlanning.com. Feel free to leave a comment or review in the platform you're listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.